you have your Bibles, please um, open to Luke chapter 15 and to Luke chapter 18. It is appropriate this morning, um, we're going to be looking at parables of prayer. So, as we've seen in our study of the parables thus far, if you've been tracking with us over the last few weeks, the parables serve a certain function. Um, and one of those functions is that Jesus uses these parables, these stories, to give us a window into the character and heart of God. That the parables are meant to show us God for what He's really like. Jesus wants us to see through the parables what the Father's heart actually is. Now Jesus works in, in the parables, of course, to correct some of our misconceptions or preconceptions about the nature of the gospel, about God's kingdom, and especially how it operates with new kingdom um, principles and values. Now we've seen that clearly, right, as we've studied the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the two lost sons, as we called it, or the last week as we saw in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This morning, we're going to change our attention to the parables of prayer. Now in these parables, these two we're going to look at in Luke, 15, Luke 11 and Luke 18, Jesus is going to again give us a window into God's heart concerning prayer and why prayer is so vital. After all, if you don't know this, I hope you'll learn this at least, prayer is God's idea. Prayer is God's idea. I didn't think that up. God designed us from the very beginning to know Him, to fellowship with Him, and to communicate with Him through prayer. And as we saw last week in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, our attitude in prayer matters to God, right? In that parable, if you'll remember, you had this self-righteous Pharisee praying in contempt over this struggling tax collector, and we're told surprisingly that God was only pleased with the attitude of the tax collector, though both are praying. But in these two parables we're going to look at today, I want to say this. Jesus isn't simply going to address some of our misconceptions of God. He's also going to address some of the reasons that we struggle in prayer. Now, if we're honest, here we go, this is honest time. How many of you struggle to pray? Right here, look around the room. I struggle to pray. Your pastor struggles to pray. That's why I know prayer is so important. Because anything can distract me from it. Listen, whatever my flesh rebels against most, whatever my heart rebels against most, I know that's what I most need. Because I'm sinful. And, and Satan will do anything to keep me from praying. So I know that's why it's vitally important. Now, if we're honest, we all know the struggles of prayer. We sometimes struggle because we don't understand Prayer in light of God's sovereignty, this mystery between us praying and God already knowing and, and purposing all things. So, you know, sometimes we'll struggle, well, does it really matter if I pray, if God already knows and has planned all things, what will my prayer actually change? So that might be a struggle you might have. Listen, everybody's going to have that struggle, but God tells us to pray. Sometimes we struggle because we pray with the wrong motives. I know sometimes I do. You ever prayed for a Lamborghini? 
Sometimes we have the wrong motives, right? James tells us that if we pray and ask with the wrong motives, then God's not listening. And then when we do pray with the right motives, you know, God give everybody a Lamborghini. That'll be fine by me too. But sometimes even if you pray with the right motives and God doesn't answer us, we begin to question if we prayed in faith. Well, maybe I just didn't pray with enough faith. And, if we, and we struggle that if we pray for something more than once, then that might not be a faith at all because if we believe the first time, we wouldn't ask what? The second time. I, I, I sometimes have that struggle. Even though, by the way, Jesus himself prayed for the cup of, the, of God's wrath to be taken from him three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus repetitively prayed. And by the way, that's something that happened during Passion Week. And also Jesus warned in Matthew 6, though, against vain repetitions of the heathen um, because say, they, they thought they would be heard because of their many words, right? They just kept praying the same thing, thinking, well, if I just heap up prayers, God will hear me then. And Jesus says this, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Okay, so God knows what we need, and yet he bids us to pray. So prayer pleases him and changes us. That's something we have to know. Now, our two parables this morning are going to give us two great encouragements to pray. They're going to, they're going to address what I think are two of the main reasons that would keep us from praying more frequently and more faithfully. So have your finger in both Luke 11 and Luke 18. These are sister parables of prayer. So Luke 11, if you're there, say amen. All right. So this is right after Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, right? He says there in verse 2, Lord, verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And then Jesus teaches them the model prayer. And then verse 5, he says, and Jesus said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are, in, are with me in bed. I cannot give up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not give up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now go over to chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It says, And He told them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, 
Yet because of this widow keeps coming, uh, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, "Hear what the unrighteous judge says." And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now keep your finger in both places because I'm going to pull out principles that guide both of these parables. Here's the first encouragement to pray that I want to give you this morning. Here is the first encouragement. Number one, understanding God's heart for his children encourages prayer. Understanding God's heart for his children encourages prayer. That's the positive way of saying it. Let me give it to you in the negative. Misunderstanding God's heart or disbelieving God's heart for his children discourages prayer if that's true if you know God's heart if that should encourage you to pray and if you misunderstand or disbelieve God's heart that will destroy or damage your prayer life then it's vital that we understand God's heart for us and that's why I think Jesus gives us these two parables Jesus wants us to know God's heart here about prayer and what he's doing is he's correcting what we might be tempted to think about God's heart. Now, how many of you have ever had these thoughts about prayer? God's too busy. I'm too small. It's not going to help anyway. God's not listening. Uh, sorry, I've, God's too busy. I'm too small. It's not going to help anyway. He's not going to hear me. And by the way, if that's true, why should I pray if God's not listening? Why should I pray if he doesn't desire my company? Why should I pray if God is listening but he refuses to act? Now those ideas and questions reveal something. They reveal in that moment what we really believe about God's heart towards us. So how do these parables correct that? First, here we go, if you're taking notes, here's the first reason that you need to know. First, Notice the key issue in these parables is the relationship that the one praying has with God. Notice the relationship. In the parable of the traveler, Luke 11, look at Luke 11. It is the friend who comes to him at midnight looking for bread. Five times the word friend appears in that parable. He's not a stranger. He's a friend, right? The point is that you won't come to the door for a stranger ready to provide for his needs. No, how do you come to the door for a stranger? With your gun. Y'all laugh. Y'all know it's true. Somebody comes knocking on your door at midnight, banging on the door asking for something, and they're not your friend? You're not coming ready to provide what they need. You're coming ready to defend your home and your family. So, the point is you don't come to the door for a stranger. You come to the door for a friend, even if he's incredibly rude and persistent. Even if he's here banging for bread, you're like, dude, Walmart used to be open 24 hours. You should have gotten there. Okay? The point of the parable, by the way, isn't for us to be rude or imprudent in our prayers. The point is this. If you will do this for a friend, even if he's rude, 
how much more will God provide what? For His children. For His children. You're more than an imprudent friend without any nighttime manners. You are a child of God. Now look at verse 11. 11, 11. Jesus says there that an earthly father, he knows how to hear the request of his children and provide for what they need, even though earthly fathers are evil. Don't skip that. Jesus says, you know how to do that and you're evil. And then he says, how much more will your heavenly father provide for you as his child? Now, skip over to chapter 18. Look at the unjust judge. Now, in Luke 18, the issue of relationship isn't about the judge and the woman at all. You're like, Jacob, I don't know what you're talking about. This judge and the woman don't really have a relationship. It's a legal relationship. It's a legal dispute. And you're right. So go to verse 7, where Jesus explicitly makes it about their relationship, the relationship between the one praying and God. Jesus says this, Will not God give justice to who? His elect. That's the issue of relationship. Will God not give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So my point here, hear the point, hear the point. My point here is that God hears and God responds to the prayers of His children. God is the creator of all men, but He is not in relationship as Father to all men. While God is the creator of all men, He is not in relationship as Father over all men. His relationship as Father is only enjoyed and only experienced through a relationship with Jesus. It is through Jesus that we know God the Father. Only in Jesus do we have the privilege of a covenant relationship with our Father in heaven and access to Him by faith. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that tonight one of you has car trouble. You are having car trouble on, and you're broke down on the side of the road and you really need help. And so what you do is you decide you want to call this random number. And you just dial some number, let's say it's my dad, you get my dad on the phone. You're like, hey, Mr. Donnie, can you come help me? I'm stranded on the road over here near Dixon, and I really need you to come help me. My dad is going to say, you better call your dad, because I'm in bed um, in North Mississippi. And if my dad's watching this, that's true. So um, I'm in bed in North Mississippi, I'm not coming to help you. Why not? Because you're not his kid. But I can tell you this, if I call my dad at 2 in the morning and say, Dad, I'm broke down in Dixon, will you come and get me? My dad will get out of bed, he will get in his car, he will move heaven and earth to come, because I'm his, not because I'm good, not because he's proud of me, but because I'm his boy. I'm always going to be his little boy. That's the issue of relationship. That we have a relationship with our father who comes running for his children. Even much more so than a father who is even evil and sinful and still yet knows how to give good gifts. That's the issue. Another thing that shows us God's heart here 
is the promises he makes in verses 9 and 10. Look at chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. What does Jesus say as the Father's Son? Jesus knows his Father. This is, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He knows his Father. And what does he authoritatively tell us in verse 9? He says, I tell you, this is Jesus, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Why? For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What's Jesus' point? Seek, ask, knock, enter the Father's house. Come and find what you need by faith. You're not a stranger. You're not a simply a friend. You are a welcomed son or daughter of the King. All that the Father has is yours and Jesus wants you to know that. That is an encouragement to prayer. These parables demonstrate that God isn't offended by the boldness of his children. Actually, in the parable, what does he do? He commends this rude friend for coming in the night. And he commends a poor widow for boldly seeking justice with a judge, by the way, who doesn't care a thing about God or respect her as a person. This means that we can be bold in our prayers. So be bold. Come into his presence knowing that God isn't going to be upset with you. Right? What does the author of Hebrews say? Let us then draw near to the throne of grace. How boldly, with confidence, to obtain the mercy and grace we need in our time of need. So God's, hear me. This is the point behind all of this. If you understand God's heart... That will encourage you not to shy away, but to draw near. Not to run and hide, but to come openly before your Father. And this is the reason. Hear me. God's character and heart demands that He responds to the cries of His children. I mean, what mother ignores the cries of her children? What father ignores the cries of their sons and daughters? Not a father who's like God. That's my point. God hears, God knows, God is moved, God provides. God isn't like this friend who's asleep in the first parable. He's not asleep. God is always available. He's not a father who's evil and yet knows how to give good gifts. He's altogether good and gracious. He's not an unjust judge. He's altogether righteous. That is God's attitude towards us as we pray. He bids us come with open arms, pour out our hearts, pour out our cares, and even pour out our complaints. The Bible's filled with thousands of complaints. But God still hears and He still responds. He will not delay long. He will give to His children justice speedily according to His will. Now here's the question behind all of this. Are you a child of God? That's the primary question. If you know not Jesus, then you do not have the privilege of coming into his presence the way a child does. The great news for you is Jesus says, turn from your sins, repent and believe, and you will be welcomed as a son and daughter. You have to receive Christ by faith as Lord, and only then do you have access to the Father. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes what? To the Father except by me. Listen, if you're discouraged in your prayer life, I want you to just take a moment and reflect on the heart and character of God. 
If you're scared of coming into God's presence, you're scared of praying, that's because you don't understand who God is. That's a fundamental misconception of your heart. You need to spend time in God's word and understand God's character and God's heart for his children. He's not standing up there looking to punish. He's standing up there ready to receive his children. That's the first one. Second, and by the way, the good news for you this morning, I only have two points. That's a good place for amen. All right. Number two, understanding the importance of prayer, understanding the importance of prayer to our spiritual health encourages prayer. Not only is it we have to understand God's heart, you need to understand that prayer is vitally important for your own spiritual health. Look back at the parable of the unjust judge in Luke 18. Notice how Luke introduces the parable in verse 1. He says in 18.1, he says, And Jesus told them a parable to the effect, what? That they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Notice the connection that Jesus makes there. You should always pray so that you don't lose heart. In other words, if you're not praying, you are in the process of losing heart. Losing heart means to grow weary or to become worried or to grow in hopelessness. Now what this means is that our prayer life is directly connected to the strength and stamina that our souls need in this difficult and dangerous world. Right? So not praying then is like not eating. The same can be said for us not regularly consuming God's word through personal Bible reading and devotion. Jesus says what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So not praying and not reading your Bible is like starving your body of real food. You are slowly starving your soul. Jesus says that the result of prayerlessness in the life of a believer will be losing heart and growing weary. So what this means then is that prayer is God's remedy to help in our battles with discouragement, unbelief, worry, anxiety, doubt, and fear. And the Bible tells us that we don't have to bear those things alone. This is what prayer serves in us. When you're filled with cares and worries and battles and fear, what God says is not run and hide and stop praying. God says, cast your cares on me. Why? Because I care for you. That's God's heart in prayer. So in order for us to not lose heart, what do we have to do? We have to persevere in prayer. Now look at chapter 18, verse 8. Jesus directly connects persevering with prayer. He says there in verse 8, he says, Nevertheless, this is how he concludes the parable. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So now look at verses 7 and 8 and notice what happens. God promises what in verses 7 and 8? He promises to vindicate his children and to give them justice it will happen either now or at the time of God's choosing. And though we might not know when, God will surely give them justice. So it's not a question of whether or not God will keep his promise to give justice to his children crying out for it. The only question here that Jesus raises is this. It's not a question of whether or not God will hear and respond. The only question Jesus raises is whether or not God's people will persevere to see it. Or will they lose heart? Will they lose faith? Will you remain faithful and close to Christ through prayer? 
When the Son of Man comes, will he find us faithfully praying? Prayer is the means of God keeping us faithful so that we do not lose heart. So, prayer is how we keep ourselves for perseverance. Sorry, prayer is how we prepare ourselves for perseverance. And in the Bible, by the way, the Bible is filled with examples of weak and sinful characters who persevered in prayer and saw incredible things because they prayed to a strong and caring God. So read them, learn from them, and pray like them. But also, on the other side of that, there are examples of people all throughout history who have lost heart and fallen away. History is filled with examples of those who have lost heart and fallen away. The danger is real. John tells us they went, out, they went out from us because they were not of us, because had they been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out from us so that it might be made known that they were not really of us. They weren't really believers to begin with, but what was true of every one of them was that they went off the rails after they had already given up on the regular habit of spending time in God's Word and in prayer. Prayer is the means of us persevering. Prayer is the key to our persevering in faith. Now as I close, look at chapter 11, verse 13. Let's go back there. We'll end in chapter 11, verse 13. I want you to notice one of the greatest encouragements to prayer that God makes, that Jesus makes in the New Testament is found in verse 13. In verse 13 of chapter 11, God promises to give us what we need more than bread. What we need more than bread. Good gifts, which is his presence by his Holy Spirit. Look what Jesus says there in chapter 11, verse 13. He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In Matthew's account of this, Jesus says this, Or which one of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Matthew says God will give us good gifts. Luke says he will give us the Holy Spirit. The point is that Jesus promises here to provide what we need most as we pray. His fellowship by His Spirit. When we become a child of God, when we repent of our sins and turn to Jesus in faith, we are at that moment forgiven of our sins. And that is great news. But at the very same time, we are also given this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell in us. We are given a new heart and a new nature and God's Spirit takes up residence in our heart. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into our lives to give us comfort and the peace of God's presence among us. So what prayer does, hear me, this is how it's directly connected to your spiritual health and vitality. Prayer allows us to moment by moment experience the peace and comfort of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. When we pray in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, when we are in prayer, we are fellowshipping with God by His Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit also does is He brings our will 
into conformity with God's will as we pray. After all, in the model prayer in Luke 11, what do we pray for? We pray that God's, we pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God's Spirit works to move our will more into conformity with God's will. But God's Spirit also brings conviction and clarity to our consciences as we pray. That's why our prayer should be marked with contrition and confession of sin. Right? How does Jesus teach us to pray? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But the Holy Spirit also does something else. When we pray, the Holy Spirit works in fellowshipping with us to produce in us the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit works in us as we pray. As we spend time in God's Word and ask Him to conform us to the image of Jesus and to make us more like Him. So if you are not praying, then you are not fellowshipping with God's Spirit. You are not spending time in God's presence. And the final thing the Spirit does is the Spirit empowers us for God's mission. To make Jesus known, to glorify Him in our lives, and to make disciples so that we would live sent the same way Jesus was sent. Now here, let me conclude. There are two great encouragements to pray here. Know the heart of your Father. And know that your spiritual life, the health of your spiritual life is contingent on the way you pray. Just like diet and exercise are contingent to the way you care for your body, prayer and Bible study are contingent to the way you care for your soul. Let me conclude with these two thoughts. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. A prayerless Christian is a pitiful Christian. There is no misery like the misery of a prayerless Christian who walks outside of fellowship with God himself and his spirit. The only way to remedy that is prayer. Prayer. Samuel Chadwick says this, quote, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Just think of if the God of the universe bids us come and welcomes us in his presence, and yet we would say, nah, I'd rather spend time on Facebook. I'd rather spend time on Instagram. It says something about what we really believe about the heart of God. So this morning, may we learn to pray. Let me pray right now, and then we'll have a brief time of invitation. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would teach us to pray. And Father, that your, these great encouragements from these parables would work themselves into our hearts to convince us of your heart for us as a father. That as children, as sons and daughters, we are welcome in your presence. That, Father, you welcome us and bid us come with arms open wide so that we might fellowship with you, be strengthened by you, be filled by your Spirit, that we might have what we need to walk through this difficult life. And Father, I'm thankful for the joy of your presence, even in the darkest of our days, that you've promised never to leave us nor forsake us. So Father, may we draw near to you to grow, to mature, 
to become more conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name.